thoughts, we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Call. A uh, bit of a weird episode here this week. Uh, John and Amber are traveling in the U.S. right now to be in the U.S. for July 4th. Uh, big celebration over there, obviously. And also check out some bank. I'm really not too sure other than that. But anyway, they are partying it up. As we all know, just probably getting bottle service and doing a bunch of drugs and all that stuff. So just kidding. But uh, they are in the U.S. and we had trouble finding a time to sit down and record this podcast. Just with the time change in the Midwest, flight times, John flying from Kelowna, Amber flying from Toronto. um, We weren't able to find a time to record like we usually do on Sunday or Mondays. So what we decided to do is that they're going to record their own thing there locally. And uh, we just thought it would be a good idea for me to do a little monologue and share just some things I was going to cover normally with them. And one thing that uh, comes to mind for me that I just really wanted to get out there on the podcast this week is this book that I've been reading, which is blowing my mind. It's called The Molecule of More. And uh, it's by Daniel Lieberman and Michael Long. And um, it's, it's a book about dopamine and how dopamine as a neurotransmitter has a pretty good iron grip on our on our brain and our behavior. And I'm only a few chapters in and I'm just like, scribbling down notes to just just quote worthy sentences that I will definitely be reflecting on. There's one passage in particular that really I thought was worth sharing and and I have some thoughts on it afterwards in terms of how it relates to um, running, growing and scaling a small business. So we'll, we'll just dive in. This is actually from page six. So I was just shook uh, 15 minutes into reading this book. So Uh, I'll I'll just dive in here. So this is from about quarter of the way down page six. Again, the molecule of more. We constantly make predictions about what's coming next, from what time we can leave work to how much money we expect to find when we check our balance at the ATM. When what happens is better than what we expect, it is literally an error in our forecast of the future. Maybe we get to leave work early or we find $100 in checking than we expected. That happy error is what launches dopamine into action. It's not the extra time or the extra money themselves. It's the thrill of the unexpected good news. In fact, the mere possibility of a reward prediction error is enough for dopamine to swing into action. Imagine you're walking to work on a familiar street, one you've traveled many times before. All of a sudden, you notice that a bakery has opened, one you've never seen. You immediately want to go in and see what they have. That's dopamine taking charge and it produces a feeling different from enjoying how something tastes, feels, or looks. It's the pleasure of anticipation, the possibility of something unfamiliar and better. You're excited about the bakery, yet you haven't even eaten any of their pastries, sampled any of their coffee, or even seen how it looks inside. You just go in and order a cup of dark roast and a croissant. You take a sip of coffee. The complex flavors play across your tongue. It's the best you've ever had. Next, you have to take a bite of the croissant. It's buttery and flaky exactly like the one you had years ago at a cafe in Paris. Now, how do you feel? Maybe that your life is a little better with this new way to start your day? 
from now on, you're going to come here every morning for breakfast and have the best coffee and the flakiest croissant in the city. You'll tell your friends about it, probably more than they care to hear. You'll buy a mug with the cafe's name on it. You'll even be more excited to start your day because, well, that awesome cafe. That's why. That is dopamine in action. It's as if you've fallen in love with the cafe. Yet sometimes, when we get things we want, it's not as pleasant as we expect. Dopaminergic excitement, that is, the thrill of anticipation, doesn't last forever. Because eventually the future becomes the present. The thrilling mystery of the unknown becomes the boring familiarity of the everyday. At which point dopamine's job is done, and the letdown sets in. The coffee and croissants were so good, you made that bakery your regular breakfast stop, but after a few weeks, the best coffee and the best croissant in the city became the same old breakfast. It wasn't the coffee and the croissant that changed, it was just your expectation. In the same way that Samantha and Sean, characters that are referenced throughout the book, were obsessed with each other in their relationship, became utterly familiar. When things became part of the daily routine, there is no more reward prediction error, and dopamine is no longer triggered to give you those feelings of excitement. Sean and Samantha surprised each other in a sea of anonymous faces at a bar, obsessed over each other until their imagination of never-ending delight became the concrete experience of reality. Dopamine's job and the ability to idealize the unknown came to an end, so dopamine shut down. Passion rises when we dream of a world of possibility and fades when we are confronted by reality. When the good or good god, when the god or goddess of love beckoning you to the boudoir becomes a sleepy spouse blowing his or her nose into a ratty Kleenex, <laughs> the nature of love, the reason to stay, must change from dopaminergic dreams to something else. But what? This is a pretty interesting quote, and and uh, it was a long one. So thanks for bearing with me there. But I think those that are those that are listening, I mean, anyone can relate to that in some way, right? Something that you were obsessed with for a short period of time because of a prediction error, a positive prediction error, meaning you were predicting less and, and received more in, 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 the, in reality. As simple as walking down the same street every day and then realizing that there's something new there. That's a positive prediction error. A lot of people experience this with new ideas, new opportunity, especially myself. Like if I look over the past 10 years, I was I was given a lot of ability to say yes to things, right? Uh, and, and the ability to just say yes or no, whether it's a new business opportunity, a trip, a relationship. And one of the things I'm realizing, given that I tend to be more agreeable than disagreeable, is that sometimes I fall victim to positive prediction error. And I actually am now, until reading this, I was unaware how dopamine played into that. Knowing that that is just a symptom of being human for myself is somewhat of a peaceful thought because it's just how my brain chemistry works. And if you identify with some similar situation to me, be aware of the fact that it is your own biology interacting with the environment. I want to boil this down to one sentence in particular that I think is rereading over and over and over again. Um, passion rises when we dream of a world of possibility and fades when we are confronted by reality. Man, you can boil that down, especially if you're in a sales role. Think about that. Passion rises when we dream of a world of possibility. The, the time difference between when you knock at a door and when the door is answered. That's the world of possibility. The time difference between when you make your original qualification call to a client and the appointment when you have to close them. That's the world of possibility. The time difference between asking for a contract or asking for the job and when the prospective client answers. That's the world of possibility. And that period of time, you have an expectation and the way that your expectation is set is 100% going to influence the weight of the reality that gets presented to you. And a lot of the times on this podcast, we discuss things like, oh, be unattached. How do you remain unattached to a desirable outcome? 
This is it, folks. This is it. Be aware of the fact that it's a dopaminergic response and that positive prediction error is something you can easily fall victim to. Getting confronted by reality as a business person is inevitable. It's the game you selected yourself into, for Christ's sakes. Like, it's... I think about all the times that I was just so uh, hung up, I guess you could say, about a very, you know, a, a very undesirable situation coming up in the business. We went over budget on a project. We lost a project. A client canceled. Um, you know, something like this, right? Something that as an owner, you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. It's just like, it's consuming your brain. You know, you're just like, oh man, what can I do about it? And if you're a control freak like me, you're like, oh man, like I know it's my team's job to deal with it, but I just want to step in and solve it. And all these controlling, just paranoia thoughts, you know, like it's, uh, it can be consuming, right? Well, when you're confronted by that reality, you can easily forget that you just miss maybe maybe you miss set your expectation of the um of the possibility right there's a world of possibility and if you're looking for that positive prediction error and holding on to that there can be some dangers associated with that so as i continue to read this book i continue to just get more and more aware of how this dopamine neurotransmitter how this thing just has a vice grip on your mind without knowing it you know and and, and obviously you can't live without it and as you read on to the book there's a huge variable of how it how, how it helped us evolve to summarize and to bring this all back into some concrete takeaways in life and especially when leading a business or a team of people just be aware of the fact that your passion will rise when possibilities become more prevalent or opportunity becomes more prevalent. And remember that it is our responsibility to make sure that when, not if, but when we are confronted by the reality of how those opportunities play out, that we are not at the mercy of those outcomes and that the way we feel in that moment is a dopaminergic response and that that's a part of being human. That's your own biology. That's how you evolved. There's no, oh, woe is me. I'm bad. I'm good. I win. I lost. I lost. It's just dopamine. It's just a chemical. And it's just positive or negative prediction error. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And thinking about that at a deep level is, some, is somewhat disturbing right? Because people don't necessarily, myself included, want to admit that an emotional reaction is not real or a thought is not real. But if it's simply the presence of a chemical or an absence of a chemical, then it's just worth asking yourself, what is it? Right? Is it worth feeling that when I'm confronted by reality, that it's worth concluding something long and complicated about my ability or inability. No, that's what we can agree on. That's what I hope we can agree on as a result of this small monologue here. Um, I shared this with my sales team, the franchisees I lead, and had some great conversations with them about them, their teams and their abilities and the reflection on themselves. I encourage you to do the same with important people in your life or a part of your team or business. And without further ado, I'll let you jump into the rare recording of John and Ammer solo live from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Hey, everyone. Uh, Ammer and John here. We are doing a kind of interesting episode where... We could not sync up our schedules with Austin. So uh, what we decided to do is John and I will tell you about our, you know, about our week, stuff we've learned, and Austin will do a monologue doing the same. And then I'm going to stitch them together and see 
how that looks. So yeah, if you're listening to this, welcome. I guess for context, uh, Amra and I are currently in Nashville, Tennessee. Fourth of July. Independence Day in America. <laughs> yeah, Independence Day, exactly. Good movie. Um, yeah, man. It was. It, it's cool to see you, as always, in person. <laughs> Whenever I see you, it doesn't, it feels very natural. It doesn't, like, it, it seems You're surreal. just tall, you know? I was going to say you, you seem short. No. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though, because, like, when I when I listen to you on the podcast, I, I, I have no association with, like, your your height or anything like that. Like, I just see your face. And so whenever I see you in person, it, it is a bit of, like, a shock. Because I, I feel like you'd be, like, this tall, like, big guy. You know? You're making – dude, stand up right now. You're making <laughs> no, it no, sound no, no, like no, I'm, like, 5'4". No, no, okay. Just for reference, he's not a short individual. He's probably, like, 5'9". What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, either way. Um, yeah. Which is also Nashville. So no, it's good, but like I, I it's okay, very well, nice. You hit the week first. Well, no, I, it was because uh, John didn't come alone. I saw Trisha. Okay. For yeah. the first time yeah, in my okay. life in person, yeah. and uh, yeah, on her finger was the most drippiest of rings. It was ridiculous. If you imagine, I guess if you're watching this, if you imagine, let's say like Travis Scott had the option, he, he was just banned from wearing any jewelry. And was forced to only pick like a ring that he would wear. You know he's gonna ice it out to the brim. That's Trisha's ring. It's a it's a fucking badass <laughs> ring. It's not bad. I, um, Isn't that a safety concern? Like, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, no. So tr- we have a safety protocol. So Trisha and I have like a like a code word, um, okay. which I'm not gonna tell. Well, you. obviously, yeah, it's yeah, code. Yeah, it's a code word. Yeah, we have a code word where if I feel like the environment that we're in is not conducive for her having like a house on her fucking finger, yeah. then uh, she's got to flip it around. So she, she can just turn it so that, so that she, like, so it, it's just a gold because on the, on the one side, like I actually, so it's the diamonds actually purposely end around 45%, 50% of the way down the ring so that she has the option of flipping it. And then, so it, so that it's actually like on the reverse side of her finger and then she can just curl her into a fist. So it's just, it's gold band, which is not really, no one's going to pick up on a gold band. And then the diamonds hidden inside her inside her closed fist. Why not just take it off? Well, I mean, sure, but I mean, like sometimes you're just in an environment where you you find yourself in a situation like where you're like, okay, this is sketchy. Flip it around, close your fist. And then you know it's in your you have it in your hand. It's hard to steal it off your finger. You can close your fist, right? Like, yeah, true. Actually, you can get pickpocketed and things like that. Yeah. So we have a code word. Yeah, my grandmother actually was the one that taught me that because my grandmother has a, a wedding ring that uh, that's. Well, so it was, it was the wedding ring that uh, Lewis, her father, had uh, given to her mom. And uh, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly it's assessed at 150 grand. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking, it's a, that's a ring. It's a baby ring to bear that one. Whoa. So, yeah, like my grandmother taught me this protocol for. Does she, does she also have a covert side to her ring? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then actually inside, one thing I, uh, that, I, that I always forget about telling people is actually inside of the ring is it's inscribed E Plyrubus Unum, which means out of many, one. one. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I think he told us that. It was also the founding statement of America. I was, yeah, it sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Is that on the $1 bill? I don't know which dollar bill it's on, um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Cool. And then, uh, yeah, John and I went to the gym, which was pretty cool. <laughs> that was fun. Um, we worked out and we, we have similar workouts, but like there's some workouts I haven't done in a while, mm-hmm. which he has done, which you've done. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw John lift some 90s on the incline bench, which was very cool. And uh, yeah, obviously I'm there. John's spotting me. So I had to go for a PR as well. Um, not as strong as John, but it felt nice. You know what, though? Um, in your defense, there's like, that's a part of my program that I've been doing for quite a while and the incline. Yeah. Oh. Like, but, but specifically with dumbbell. And one thing that I've been really surprised by, like in my workout journey is you can just through pure practice alone, you can get really confident at like one key lift kind of thing. Yeah. And someone else who may be stronger than you might just not have that practice in that one specific. Yes. Thing, right. Yeah. 
I, I actually feel the same about incline. Um, you're just, you're, I feel like you're two months ahead of me. Yeah. No fair play. Well, yeah, well actually probably exactly two months. Cause from my experience, it's been about five, five pounds a month is what I can add on average. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I'm probably about two months away from hitting a hundred. No, but I, but I hit eighties for eight. So I could hit nineties for like maybe four or three. Mm, probably not. I, 10, 10 pounds is a lot to add on an incline. I think that you Sorry, probably, 85. Yeah, 85 for 85. sure. No, no, yeah. Because like I, I only do like four to six. And then when I hit six, I go up. Oh. Yeah. So I like, so like mine, well, this is going to get a little nuanced. But like, yeah, I basically, I, I'm either going up in reps. And if I hit the, uh, the upper range of my rep, you know, my rep range, then I go up in weight. Nice. And so every week I'm either doing more reps or more weight. Yeah. Unless you just have an off, an off day or something like that, which. Yeah. It does happen. Happened last week. Yeah. And then uh, we we went to Truxton, and why don't you tell the viewers at home what Truxton is and why we went there? Well, okay, so I don't know if I okay. Well, I don't know um, if we if we had talked about that, but basically, there's did. a there's a there's a bank that I'm a shareholder in, and uh, I just thought it'd be kind of cool to you know mm. just to see it and get a photo and did I leak it? <laughs> Well, it doesn't really matter. Okay. I mean, m- most people could buy it anyways. But mm. um, yeah, it was just, I, I thought it was really cool. And it, but, you know, because Amber had always suggested that, hey, like, why don't you go and see your investments? Like, why don't you actually, you know, go spend some time in the city, get a vibe for it or whatever. Yeah. And um, I thought it was really interesting. That, like, like, so one, I definitely want to adopt that. Like, I definitely, um, Certainly for some of the smaller investments, for sure. I would want like smaller as in like a, like this is a one location bank. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think I would need. You're not going to go to Apple headquarters. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't feel the need to like for Bank of Hawaii. I wouldn't have felt the need to like go to Hawaii. Is <laughs> that the ultimate excuse? It's like Trisha, um, honey, we got to go to Hawaii. But you know, it, but it is actually a good fit actually for, for myself and Trisha. Because Trisha loves to travel and I actually don't like traveling. Yeah. Um, but but there, but but if you tell me that i'm gonna be able to go see a bank yeah, yeah. then i'm like oh yeah okay i'll go to yeah, that you know? sounds interesting yeah 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 right you know so um yeah and the, the cool thing too about actually having like a back like a background quote unquote in quotations it's very very limited but um there's basically any any state any city in america i could find a bank that i could get interested in like you know even like even when we were driving around i was like oh that's first horizon that's yeah, on the tv yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like i you know i mean i had already heard about first horizon and things like that right and I also had known about some other banks because, of course, if I'm going to buy a bank and, and become a shareholder in a bank in, in Nashville, I'm going to want to look at other banks in the area and see yeah, like, what yeah. kind of market should they have, they have the deposits and things like that. Well, they're not comparisons because this is a private bank and it's just it's a completely different thing than other banks. It's not. It's actually a completely different business model. Okay. That'd be like comparing like a, like a residential painting company that specializes in like repaints exterior with one that only does new construction interior. It's just two different models. Mm. Like you, you would it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be a fair comparison. So why would you look at them? Um. Just the just the market share of deposits, oh. yeah, yeah, market share of deposits, like the call reports. But also, the, I was trying to find other private banks in, in Tennessee. But I I had come upon First Horizon, um, which I'm not a shareholder in or anything like that, and I, I hadn't even really considered buying it. But it just I I thought it was interesting because I'm a I my like I personally bank with TD in Canada, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and TD's been my bank for like. A decade, so I just I have like a an emotional connection to that, like in yeah. the sense it's been Same. my bank of choice. Yeah, and you, you, know, you bank with TD. Yeah, it's a good bank. Great quality good service. Yeah, no, I, I really like it. Um, I think it has the best investing platform. Mm. Period. I think it's the best brokerage house in Canada. Yeah, like yeah. I've tried a bunch of different brokerages. I think they have the best one. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, mainly because they actually are they're actually very U.S. dominant, and so they they just they make it a lot easier to invest in U.S. companies. Um, either way, like they have access to a lot more OTC markets than than RBC, for example. Like when I was on. When I was like looking at Trisha's uh, ability to buy, my ability to buy was far greater on TD. That mm-hmm. like they had more listings, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but either way, um, that's how I'd heard about this First Horizon uh, buyout. And then I was like following it because I, anytime there's like a, a merger or like a spinoff, like I always just kind of get interested um, if it, if it's within my circle of competence, you know. Yeah, like the Blizzard Activision one it was just too. No, that was way above my pay grade. Um, but uh, mainly because it's just too big of companies. But like, for example, like there's there's a spinoff happening right now, or it's scheduled to happen in uh, Canada, which is so there's uh, tech. Uh, so when I was young, Nelson, there was a company called Kaminko, and Kaminko is what was and is I'm pretty sure still 
the largest lead smelter in North America. Oh. And it's in Trail, BC, which just happens to be an hour and a half huh. from Nelson. And I'd always heard of Kaminko. Um, you know, I've been to Trail many times. Brady's from Trail. Oh. Brady and Kyle, they're, they're only, they actually used to work at Kaminko. Oh. Yeah, Brady was a, a, a Brady was a- uh, Smelter? Uh, no, he was an engineer. Uh, yeah, no, Brady has an engineering de- uh, degree oh. and uh, worked as an engineer, a power engineer. How old is Brady? Uh, he's 24, 23. Oh, cool. So either way, um, <clears throat> Brady... Um, this was before Stoneworks? Yeah, yeah, Brady. Well, how did he get recruited? Um, I forget how he had heard about it, actually. Um, Damn. I, I forget his his origin story and how he got into Stoneworks, but, but he basically saw the path of working at Kaminko Tech, which I want to finish the, the, the spinoff thought there, but um, he had saw the path of, cause he, I think he was making like, he was, he was basically going to make six figures kind of thing. Like he was or like, that was what his, he was on the truck. No, no, his employment contract, I believe he was going to make six figures. Like it was cool. like, if you know, if he worked the job, he was gonna make six figures. And I think he might've even made six figures working for Kaminko. Yeah. Brady can always correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but it was, he was in that range. Right. And um, cause he had this power engineering degree. And uh, from SATE in Calgary, which is like a very respectable engineering school. And uh, uh, he saw the path of what, you know, he looked 30 years in the future uh, of, you know, what, what he would probably look like if he continued working in Kaminko and, and uh, it's a lead smelter. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some serious health consequences to that. And he also kind of saw the people in trail and, you know, and just didn't like his future. And so that's where he decided he wanted to start a business. He wanted to get into sales kind of thing. I think he'd like discover like Ty Lopez, Grant Cardone, like those mm. kind of guys, you know, and, and, you know, say what you will the of them. The seed was planted. The seed was planted. Correct. And those guys, I think are very foundational people. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's how he had gotten into student works actually was, was through that. Um, but anyway, Kaminko tech, this is, and we don't have to, this, this is not a long conversation, but anyway, Kaminko got bought by tech resources, which is, I believe the largest, um, uh, I guess you could say mining and minerals company in Canada. Oh, and they, uh, so I had started looking at coal assets in America, um, mainly because I kind of got put onto them by, uh, by Jeff at focus compounding. Yeah. And then I actually had bought this, uh, getting up to coal. It's, it's this, uh, hundred year history of, of the coal industry in America. And it's like this beautiful, this beautiful book. And it was put by NACO industries, which is a, a coal company. Either way. So I got interested in coal, um, mainly because I also looked into railroads and then the railroads that were, that were cheap were the ones that transport coal. Cool, yeah. And then, so then that's kind of how that came about either way. So, and then, and then there's the personal connection with me knowing Kaminko, which got bought by tech it was Kaminko tech. Now it's just called tech. Um, and, uh, either way, so tech is spinning off its coal assets to try and get a higher multiple on its mining assets. Oh, because coal is kind of like, that's, it's probably, they think at least that, that it's dragging down the multiple in their business. Right. So they're going to spin that off. It's called, uh, uh, I think it's called elk resources. Whoa. And so I'm watching that mm. because it's coal. No, I'm, I'm guessing that it's probably gonna get underpriced because no one wants to be a shareholder. So it's going to get spun off to shareholders. And then and I'm guessing, and I'm going to keep an eye on it, that people are going to want to just sell off rapidly because they don't want to be a shareholder of a coal company. And for ESG reasons, a lot of the in- institutional yeah. owners have to sell out of the coal. So instantly underpriced. Potentially. But yeah. anyway, but I'm going to keep an eye on it though. And, and this is, you know, back to the first horizon thing. I was watching the first horizon thing because, you know, merger arbitrage. I'm like, there's a fucking spread there between what TD was willing to pay, uh, what they were going to agree upon and what first horizon was actually trading for. Like oh. there was like a 50% gap. So, I mean, like, you know, if it closed, you were going to, you know, it was going to close that gap, right? You're going to double your money. It, the, the, the deal fell apart and the, the share collapsed, but now it's selling pretty cheap. But anyway, so that's a long way of saying, this is what interests me. This is like, this is like, what, like yeah. this is my passion. And the thought of, you know, traveling around America See. with Trisha and just seeing these different opportunities and things an like RV. that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know, but you know what I mean? Though? Like that, yeah. that's like that. I and mean, you know, that's what really interests me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just think there's like qualitative things you can discover. Well, Mine. yeah, but even think about, man, like... Which I think is important. Well, well, yeah, even think about... The gun owner. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if it really, like, benefits me by knowing it, but, I mean, certainly it does. Well, maybe it does, but, like, you know, even when we were the taxi driver and he was like, oh, I drive by this building all the time and never even noticed it, right? Like, it, cause, and, and that, that makes sense because he's not their clientele. Yeah. They're not trying to have foot traffic and try and get, like, you know, your $100 deposit. 
they're looking for trust income. They're looking for people that are going to deposit generational wealth into this bank, right? It's a yeah. private bank. It's, it's, you know, the, the tax driver wouldn't even be a customer there. Yeah. They don't even want to take your deposits. Is that why I ask Scott about Truxton? Yeah. Mm. Well, Scott lives 15 minutes or so from Truxton and he's clearly a high net worth individual. Yeah. Uh, or at least appeared so. Either way, but so, but, but even, but anecdotally though, like when the taxi driver was like, oh, that makes sense why this would be, you know, because it, it is, Truxton is on the outskirts of Nashville. Yeah. You know, like it's definitely on the, on the, the further edge. And you'd think, well, why would that be the case, right? And I think I even told you prior to coming here that, that's, you know, where the wealthy individuals lived. But yeah. then, you know, but then it's another thing to actually drive by. I mean, we didn't see the houses, but you could see the neighborhood was yeah. fucking legit. Like, yeah, 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 no, but even, but, you know, but even look at what the, the taxi driver said. He said, you know, he's like, I was like, yeah, like their clientele is like old money, like people that have been rich for like a hundred years. And he's like, well, that checks out because, you know, look, he's, like, this he's like, this neighborhood's like the wealthiest neighborhood in all of Nashville. And I was like, oh, is that where the Nashville predators live? That's, you know, I don't know if you caught on that, the predators like hockey players, like oh. NHL players. That's what I was asking. Is that where the Predators live? No, no, no. These are way richer than that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you missed that part. Yeah, I was like, oh, is that where the Predators live? He's like, no, they live more downtown. He's like, this is like old money. Ooh. He's like, this is like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, this is like plantation owners back in the day. Oh, like this, yeah. <laughs> like this is like, you know, those types of individuals. This is like, you know, this is like, you know, like their family's been going to Vanderbilt and they knew Cornelius kind of shit. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool, actually. Yeah. And then, and then of course, we went to a gun range and then we met the owner of this gun range. And maybe you want to tell that story, but the long story short of it is that he knew the CEO of Truxton. Yeah. Right. Or, his, or he, he knew him through his wife or whatever. And he, well, he knew the, he knew the one bright kid that works there too. Right. So, yeah. But so, I mean, those experiences are meaningful. I don't know if they changed my investment thesis at all, but you know what? But I mean, I will say though, I mean, Scott seemed like a standout guy and I, you know, when I asked Scott, Hey, you know, I mean, not that he'd be like, Oh, Tom's a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. Um, although I think that Scott would have said that though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah stay away he, from Tom. No, no, no. Pardon me. Yeah. He might be like, yo, stay away from Tom. Well, no, I mean, he, no, he, I mean, he did openly say that other guy, the reason why I asked him about Tom and why I actually even cared to ask him, because I mean, normally I wouldn't even ask someone what they think of someone because what are they going to say? Right. But I don't know if he picked up on this. He actually was quite critical of multiple people. Like, remember how he's talking about that one guy who is a piece of work? He's a total fucking asshole. Yeah. Right. So he actually was willing to say shitty things. You know, he was yes, willing to say negative. It was so then, so then I asked him, like, well, how's Tom? Right. He, and I, I mean, not that it's, it's, it's very antidotal, but he was like, oh, Tom's a fucking good guy. And he like yeah. went through his history with a Vanderbilt guy, whatever, you know? Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's more meaningful if someone. I think it's pretty yeah. important to know that the guy driving the ship of your investment is a decent fella. Well, I mean, I figured he was, yeah. Huh? Well, I mean, look, I mean, look at the, the growth of the company. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, true, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like you can look at people's track record and things like that. Plus I've read all of his shareholder letters and I mean, like mm. you, you, well, you even read the one, right? That was Thomas. That was Tom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was Tom who wrote that Tom, yeah, Tom, uh, Tom, Tom, or Stom, Stom. Stom. Mm. I was, I was thinking it's Mike Crum for some reason. I always see Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. I don't know. But either yeah. way, uh, <laughs> but anyway, Tom, uh, you read his shareholder letter and you could actually see, it, yeah. well, no, but, but that's, that's even better though. Cause the, the first half is the part that mattered. Cause he was actually quite negative. Yeah. He about, was like ranting a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Roasting. Well, he was roasting the government actually. Yeah. 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 He was, he was kind of being, he was saying how, well, it was funny cause um, he was talking about how, how, um, so there's a section in every single bank 10 K where they have to, uh, and, and this is, this is per regulations. They have to, um, there's a section of the 10K where they basically model out what would happen given different Fed funds scenarios. Like what would happen if the Fed's fund rate increased? Yeah, they, yeah. There's there's two things that they they model out, incremental and rapid. So if it was to and usually they only they only model it out for on, in the 10K up to 200 basis points, which is two full percentage points. So that they model it out for 100 basis points, 200 basis points same negative 100 basis yeah. points, negative 200 basis points. And they show what would happen to the net interest income based on the repricing of their assets versus the repricing of their liabilities. And it'll show you based on volume or rate, what actually would happen to their income based on that. So you can right. see like how interest rate sensitive they are. And then they have to then give their opinion of, of the sensitivity of their banks or interest rates either way. So, um, the, in, in this shareholder letter, he even talked about, this is the, the CEO, uh, Tom, he had talked about how, you know, for regulation purposes, they always had to model out 400 basis point increase. He said, but 
the, the regulator or the, the, the modelers would always say, well, there's no point in really doing this, but the regulators require us to do it. But then he said, but sure enough, this was the year, right? And I actually like that because um, you can actually like, if you live a long enough life, you actually will participate in. Abel, I just wanted that. Like yeah, no, but, no, but, but, but you'll actually participate in many unlikely events yeah. because like, you know, the black swan kind of thing, yeah. right? Because I don't, I mean, a lot of people don't even actually realize how rare what just happened happened. Well, yeah, he's mentioned the thing about a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, it's the, well, in, in the last, I mean, in the history of the United States, I don't think there's been a more rapid rise in interest rates. Crazy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But what John's talking about, we, we went to a gun range. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, it was, it was quite a bit away. And then we get there, very nice people. All the employees are just, this is a, a state where it's constitutional carry. So you can just have a concealed gun and. Or unconcealed. Or unconcealed. And you don't need a permit. No permits, no licenses, nothing. Correct. Just, just whatever your fashion sense is for the day. <laughs> you could decide to strap an AR around your back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we picked out some guns. We, if you, you know, we, we shot a P90 and a scar, which is very fun. I think we might upload some of the, the footage of, streaming. we have to, it's we have so to, we have, no, we have to show the difference between <laughs> you and me no, no. with the scar because <laughs> I'll say this when I shot the scar, I mean, it was okay. Right. So a scar is an assault rifle and we, and we had the, because we're in Nashville. Fuck yeah, it's an assault rifle. Yeah. Yeah. It'll you, assault your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fully automatic. So you can shoot a fully automatic here, which is really fun. And Ammer handled the, the recoil on this scar like a <laughs> fucking boss. What's that perk in COD where you like have better steady, <laughs> steady hand? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know. There's one that like reduces the recoil. Oh, steady hand. Is it? Okay. Either so. way. I didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Ammer had this perk and I did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, we, we shot a P90, we shot a Scar H, uh, fully auto. And then we, me, John, and Talon, which we haven't even mentioned Talon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talon's here. Yeah. Yeah. It's stand up fella. He's, uh, he runs his, his own Stormworks business out Super west. Super solid individual. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, we got, a Glock 17 with a silencer. Suppressor. Suppressor. Yes, thank <laughs> you. As Scott would point out. Yeah, a suppressor. And we got a, an MMP Easy? Uh, it was an MMP, yeah, Shield. Shield Easy, yeah. Shield Easy. And then... Which, yeah. by the way, the Smith & Wesson kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just we, we weren't accurate with it at all. I don't know no. if, the, if the sights needed to be, like, readjusted or something. Yeah, maybe the no barrel clue. was wearing out or something like that. Yeah. yeah, no clue, but we weren't hitting any targets Yeah, we could, none of us were accurate with the Smith & Wesson. Yeah, so anecdotally. <laughs> yeah. And then we had a revolver and a... It was a Smith & Wesson revolver. It was. And it was that fucking... Was, that was fun. Yeah, that was you, a, you can see why they're, they have a monopoly. I don't know if you noticed, but every revolver they had was a, was a Smith & Wesson. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Which very, shows the monopoly and the dominance of that. Very good, yeah. Like, even when Scott was showing us his own personal collection. It was a Smith & Wesson. Yeah. Well, that yeah. fucking a pipe 350, on me pulled out. Well, that's, that's just the... The 357 is just the... Caliber. Is the caliber, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last gun we shot was a... What was the, the steel... Stainless 45, steel. A 45 ACP 1911 model. Yeah. But that, it was a Remington Re 1911. Remington. 1911 is the platform. Yeah. And then every brand makes a 1911. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like, like think of it like, a, like an SUV is yeah, the yeah, term. Yeah. So 1911 is the platform. Yeah. Um, and then this was a yeah 45 ACP, uh, which is the, the bullet. And then it was a Remington, which Remington is actually now bankrupt. So they don't make that gun anymore. Yeah. It's a great gun. Very accurate. That was a fucking, that was my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. And, and so this was John's first time ever shooting guns. What was that? I guess. Well, no, it's my first time shooting um, pistols. Pistols. Yeah. Oh, and fully auto. And, well, yeah, of course. And yeah. a submachine gun. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and a revolver. And a revolver, yeah. And a suppressor. Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 a lot of fun. It was fun. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. And so we got the pleasure. Uh, we were just waiting. So after we shot our, our P90 and our Scar H, we were just kind of waiting. And I saw the guy, like, behind the counter just looking very chill. And... I don't know. He looked like a customer. And then when I asked him a question about, hey, is that down there like a scorpion? He just had this, this like aura 
of like a potentially an owner. Well, no, what had, what had happened first? I, I don't know if in, this is probably subconsciously you picked up on this cause you're, you're astute like that. But I actually asked him, Hey, is this all your revolvers? And he said, I have 1500 revolvers in this, in this building, which oh, I didn't hear what that. a random stat to know. I thought he made a mistake because I saw only like six. That's, you know, so that's what I was thinking. Like, like, is, he, is, he, is he talking about something else? Yeah, is, is this all your revolvers? You know, I have 1,500, right? Yeah. It's like, that's a weird stat. So that's, that's the first thing that ticked me off to like, this guy's obviously not oh. just a random employee. Yeah, I actually didn't pick up. Oh, that. interesting. Okay, okay. okay. That was the, I thought that was a mistake. What, I was like, what, what the hell? What tipped you off then? What tipped me off was the way he was dressed, the way he talked. A bit more casual. And yeah. his like nonchalant confidence he did look a bit more successful than everyone else in the building he just had this thing about him and um and when i when i sussed that out a way that i wanted to figure out is like oh i'm just out of curiosity like this business is it like does it own by one one person or multiple owners which i asked that question quite a bit so i've actually seen you use that question a few times yeah so it, it's a it's a preloaded question that you have. Yeah. Why why that question specifically? I like it, but I just it, it seems like an like it's like it's an odd question at first. But why why do you ask that? Um, well, Which, by I'll, the way, the question is: Ammer every fucking business that we've walked into, Ammer will ask inevitably someone, "Hey, is this building or is this business owned by a single owner or multiple?" Yeah, we asked. I asked that in the gym. Yeah. If I see a business that I like and yeah. respect and it's systemized in a certain way. Like yeah. you walk into the gym and the gun store, you can tell there's like franchise level systems here. I would say more it, so the firing range than the gym. The gym was... No, we just had trouble with the thing, but but okay, it, either way. I've been in a lot of gyms and this one was pretty sick. And I was just like, I just like to know, is it a private owner or an institutional owner? Mm-hmm. And I, I found this specific format of the question gets the least resistance. Because I used to ask, oh, you know who's the owner? And then they, I get resistant. They think you're maybe soliciting or something. Or like that. something yeah, yeah. weird, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, so yeah. I'm just like, oh, you're just out of curiosity. There's like, a, well, like is this a single owner or multiple owners? So you asked Scott this question, and he said, and he said, yeah, actually, I'm one of the owners. And, we, yeah. you know, this was a movie theater. I spent $6 million on it. My business partner was the previous owner of the movie theater. In the history of that whole, yeah, just so everyone knows, the Royal Range is the only five star shooting range in Tennessee, I believe it was. I don't know, but it was and really good, yeah. it, it's, it, it was a movie theater converted into a firing range, which that <clears throat> instantly changes my perception of the value of a movie theater. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That you can, well, you, no, no, no. Just, you can repurpose the asset. Yeah. With $6 million. Yeah. But you can it, repurpose anything. I, I understand that. But yeah. All I'm saying though, is that like, there is a lot of publicly traded uh, movie theaters in America Ooh. that have redundant assets that could end up being enter- a new form of entertainment. They're already in the entertainment true, business. True, yeah. true, Yeah, big parking lot. Yeah. Right, big building. Yeah. yeah. Lots of open space. Yeah. Very true, very true. And I can imagine like arcade movies, guns. being VR, great. like paintball. Yeah. I'm just saying, well, actually, you know, the one that, um, that I thought was really cool, we didn't get to see it, but they had like a, a firing range. Like, no... Like the COD it, firing range. What was that? What would you call that? I don't know. A simulation range? They had a, he had a house, a two-story house built inside the gun range where like the FBI, CIA. No, no, what's that? What's that? COD a simulation. Mission? No, what's that? Remember that COD mission that you had the, the, the world record on? I can't remember. It's just, it was just like a, a training, training ground. Yeah, training, training ground. ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where basically, you know, soldiers would come there to like practice hostage situations. And, and, you, have, and you have sim rounds. Yeah. You're saying, and you can get shot with them. Yeah, yeah. And they hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Scott kind of showed us around and, you know, they didn't lease it. They fully owned it. And the guy was successful. He was a CEO of a big company. Every time I know, I noticed every time he talked about any of the business side of things, he would always veer to end the conversation. Yes. I did notice that as well. Yeah. He didn't feel comfortable with the gun, the the business talk. At all. At all. It's like, I think I asked him three to four different questions and he would just answer it. No, he seemed more passionate about guns for sure. Yeah. I think he's filthy rich and is trying to hide it. I think he comes off as like a step. So I did actually some more research privately, just like, you know, and and, uh, he is an operating partner at a private equity firm based in Louisiana called Longview um, Capital Management, but it's, it's spelled like different. It's not spelled like Longview. It's, 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 it's pronounced Longview, but it's, it's not spelled that way. It's like almost looks like lounge bow, you know, either way. Um, and uh, he did talk about how he, and so I, when I looked at the portfolio of, of the companies, a lot of them are logistics based. And he said he had a logistics yep. background. Yep. So he's, he's pro- probably, yeah, he's probably filthy fucking rich. Yeah. Wow. Do you know, like, do we know anything about the size of this business? The, they say they have $850 million of assets. Yeah. This guy's worth at least 50 to a hundred million. 
I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's what we're yeah. on 50. Well, he was the CEO of, uh, well, let's put it this way. I mean, he, probably even richer than that. He was the CEO of um, Geodis, and I looked up Geodis, and during the time that he was CEO, they were doing $1.4 billion in revenue. When, when was this? 20, 2010. And then his if wife- If you adjust that to inflation, is that like $2 billion? No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't quite double. It'd probably be like 1.8, but I don't know what- And his wife? Logistics businesses are cyclical though, so I mean, that might've just been high. Well, no, I was saying that was 2010, and then he retired because his wife died of cancer. Oh, he did, yeah. yeah. And then he came back- Came back. He probably he came back as a as an operating partner at a private equity firm. Yeah, which he's still he's still the operating partner there. Yeah, just so cool. I really think it's just like one of those like downplay. Well, extreme. it was interesting too because even when I asked him like, "Do you know Truxton?" He's like, "You mean Truxton Financial?" Like the fact that he even knew Truxton. I mean, you think about it though. When I asked the 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 taxi driver, he's like, "I don't know her Truxton." Yeah. Know? But then this guy did. Yeah, and he's friends with the CEO. Correct. In yeah. Some chef fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Um. Anyways, yes, if you're wondering, did we ask him to the podcast? We did. And he immediately just basically Passed shipped, us off to someone else. Just yeah. was like, hey, yo, let me get the general manager here. He's like, he was in the war. Do you think that he missed what we were asking no, about, though? No, okay. no, he's too, he, he's really smart. Like, he, no, he didn't, 100%. No, but, but do you think that he. I, I remember that? I phrased it perfectly. Hey, <clears throat> no, me no. and John were talking. Yeah. And we would love to pick your brain more about the business side of things. I think you've got okay, a fantastic business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he was just like, hold on, let me delegate this, which makes sense because his most valuable thing right now is his time. So, yeah. And his privacy, it seems like. So, well, when you're that rich, I mean, do you really want to go on a podcast and like get more attention about yourself? And it's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, that that was the, uh, that was the gun range. And then we went to, you know, we saw Nashville downtown, ate some barbecue, played some darts, shuffleboard. Yeah. Um, what else did we do? Oh yeah, we we played a game. Yeah, that was a good game. Yeah, basically it's five players and there's like a princess and you have to basically get three love letters to her and if you do, you get to marry the princess. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty fun game. Surprisingly fun, actually. Yeah. Anything stand out to you about Nashville? Yeah, other than I didn't. I I personally think Nashville is cool. Like if you go to the main strip, and the city is so disorganized like if you ever played roller coaster tycoon you can just put up buildings anywhere next to each other and you're just trying to maximize profit like that's how nashville's set up there's no like at least where we are it doesn't seem like there's a clear-cut residential area and then the industrial area and then the restaurants and barbershops yeah, definitely it's all yeah. together it seems like each individual goes about trying to make the best they can in the world and that doesn't seem like there's much like city planning going on. Yeah. yeah. The city planning here is interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and yeah, just having fun seeing you in person. I want to do this as much as possible. Um, we got some people walking in. I think we might have to wrap. Yeah. It's a short podcast, but so it's uh, going to be a short yeah. one, but, uh, any, any quick wins or things you learned? Just last week before the trip, maybe. Just what we were talking about. I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to even spend much time on it, but just, yeah. I think that realizing that, you know, whether it's a customer, uh, whether it's a friend or whether it's a partner, whether it's, you know, whatever, how people treat other people will, I think, inevitably be how you're treated. Because mm. I think there's a naivety. There almost might be some ego attached to that, where it's like you would think that someone would treat you differently because you're you, no. because based on the relationship you have with them. Yeah. But how someone treats a server, how someone treats their partner, how someone treats their friends is ultimately how they're going to treat you because mm. you're ultimately just another person in that person's life, and you'll just end up being. Because like if someone else entered, yeah. right, you'll, scenario, it's like you'll get replaced or something. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So I think that's actually one of the biggest lessons I learned. Yeah. My, my last lesson that I learned is uh, before coming to Nashville, I went to Winnipeg mm. and I saw the team and uh, one of the guys on the team, Mr. Dylan Bundy, got married and I went to the wedding with the team, with Joe Kim, Griffin Boyd, Landon, Young. And uh, it, it's just so important because we do a lot of remote just being in person and sharing different experiences together 
just creates exponential more opportunity for fun. Yeah. And uh, a kind of level of, of tightness and like a bond. No, there is value in seeing people, like even seeing you in person, right? Like it does, it does yeah. add to the experience, right? And that, you know, you can even see that like with remote work versus in the office, you know, people say, oh, well, why would you do it if you could just do remote? Well, there's, there's something about that, right? Just, just being, yeah, yeah. Just, just being humans. So that was incredible. So thank you, Dylan, for inviting me. And then, uh, yeah, we're, I'm currently building version 10 of my sales script. So one of the things I learned early in 2020 from the Sam Ovens course is the importance of the scientific method when you're building a business. Mm-hmm. You create a hypothesis, you test it, look at the feedback and run it again. And it took me two years of just that process to figure out somewhat of the marketing, still very bad at it. Um, and then sales, getting good at that. And then customer fulfillment. And yeah, it's just very cool to see three years later, right now, I'm like updating the objection handling and end part of the sales script based on like what Joe has discovered by him going on his own with the training I gave him and he's making it better. So now we're going to build it so that when the next guy like Dylan comes in, he can make it even better. Mm. So it's just, I don't know. We're ver- I'm very picky also with the versions we create. Like I don't just update one word and call it the next version. Like there needs to be a shift in the questions or structure or theory and we're in iteration number 10 and i think that's pretty damn cool i think so too yeah <laughs> i think it's like really cool so i'm very happy with that and uh yeah that's pretty much it thank yeah. you all for listening we're like taking we're holding uh the kitchen hostage so i'm just gonna give hey, this listeners. a wrap thanks so much for tuning in this week as usual you can find us on instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.